it's Frank Buckley. Today, a woman who is living a remarkable life, Zainab Salbi, has gone from growing up in Saddam Hussein's inner circle to being in Oprah Winfrey's circle of influence. In between, she founded an organization that has helped hundreds of thousands of women survivors of war called Women for Women International. She's written powerful books, been named to People Magazine's 25 Women Changing the World list, and she has hosted TV shows that dive deep into global issues. Right now, you can find her on PBS in the program Hashtag Me Too, Now What? And you'll soon be able to see her on KTLA when this episode of Frank Buckley Interviews appears on our Sunday night TV version of Frank Buckley Interviews, which airs at 7 p.m. and 11.30 p.m. on Sunday nights. I hope you'll check it out. Here's the longer version of that conversation with Zainab Salvi. Zainab, thanks for joining me. I'm looking forward to uh, hearing about your your deep dive into the Me Too issue. Uh, But before we do that, I want to hear about your life story and how you came to be an advocate for women, not just in war, but an advocate for women. And and I want to take you way back to your childhood uh, in Iraq. Um, Tell me about that first. Well, I grew up um, in circumstances that was defined by a war. I grew up in the Iran-Iraq War. B, my family knew Saddam Hussein um, in, in a close range, in a social in a social setting. My father was um, his commercial pilot, uh, but we were his friends, you know, um, by force. Um, and C, I grew up with a, with a woman, with my mother, who basically I, shook me all my life saying, you've got to be strong, you've got to be independent. No man should touch you or talk to you in the wrong way. And honestly, it took me a very long time, a lifetime, to connect between what my mother was telling me as a teenager, and I had no idea what she's talking about, about no man should touch you or talk to you in the mm-hmm. wrong way. And uh, that it, that was directly connected to the fact that my family uh, were social friends of Saddam, mm-hmm. and that probably, you know, if this is in hindsight, he probably would be... Uh, like there's a me too in the 80s, mm. you know, as in he really did abuse and rape every woman around him. Um, and your mother feared that happening to you or and to her, and she wanted to make sure that you understood this was not okay. This is not okay, and this is how I came to this country, as a matter of fact, is because she really feared as I grew up. I was 20, and he started making comments about me as a woman now, not as a child. And... That's how I came to to this country, is out of fear from Saddam. Um, my mother sent me in an arranged marriage in here. I She's just like, you've got to leave, you've got to leave. You know, I don't care what you do once you arrive in America, but you have to leave here. And it, I, and, and after a while, I learned that, after a long time, actually, I learned that she was trying to get me out of his eyesight because mm. it was so dangerous. I mean, it's so funny because it's a lot of the, or ironic rather, a lot of the things that we're talking about right now, how Matt Lauer, for example, had a room and locked the, the door, or how Harvey Weinstein had a room and harassed women. Here's what Saddam used to do, you know? And Saddam used mm. to have, for example, People's Day, you know, and People's Day is the president uh, showing up for the people and they, they can come and visit him in the office and ask him all kinds of things, you know, divorce, custody, inheritance, all the grievances. And so he was like, he would wear a doctor's uh, jacket, really. 
and he would uh, solve their problems. He never changed laws to resolve the issues. He would have the mostly women come to him to solve their issues, hmm. right? And if he liked a woman, there was another room and he would rape her oh in that God. other room. He had a caravan and he would travel the countries to villages and small towns and he would do the same thing, People's Day, you know, and usually women go to him for mostly family affair issues. And if he liked her, he would rape her. And that was so widespread knowledge. Most of the women in my life, not all, but a lot of women in my life, in my mom's life, would come and I would see them. I grew up seeing them crying in the middle of our garden or whispering. or, You know, you go in social events and you actually see, you know, hear him having sex in the second room. Um, and I documented all of that in my in my memoir, Between Two Worlds. But the so it's the irony for me is like you escape, but he was a dictator. He was bad guy. It was clearly that he was bad guy. Yeah. And then you come and you see, in this case, it's our heroes. <laughs> you know, it's the heroes, Matt Lauer, some of these personalities who are doing exactly the same behavior and mm. the same pattern when it comes to women. Yeah. Not, not. I'm not talking about dictators and war. I'm talking about behavior of the abuse of power. So my first insight about that fear and the vulnerability and the abuse is through Saddam Hussein, actually. Yeah. And, and as a child, and not really understanding it and, and, until a certain point, and you were telling me earlier that your parents, you know, people hear, oh, they were in the orbit of Saddam Hussein and, and uh, you know, head of uh, the aviation, so they must have been, you know, political allies. And you were telling me before we started rolling that your parents just sort of sadly fell into that world they did that they didn't want to be a part of my parents were completely apolitical until today my father was alive still afraid of politics he wants nothing to do he's they're just yuppies they were yuppies really of iraq mm. if you can imagine yeah. such a thing they were part of the elite they like they danced to western music they vacation in europe and in america and they like a different world and saddam for for them not only was in the political world that they had nothing to do with it but he also was like a thug in politics i mean people feared him mm. and so they had nothing to do with that but in that case when the president, or he, when they were in a relationship, he was the vice president, asked you to be his friend. And he tried over two years, and they avoided him over two years. And finally, they talk about a, mom, a defining moment in their lives in which they entered. They were visiting a friend's home. The friend opened the door, and he told them Saddam Hussein is in the living room. And they, both my parents, equally and separately talked to me about that. It's like it was that moment, whether we enter you know, and our lives will change. He will take over our lives because everyone knew that about him. Or whether we leave, and that's rude, mm -hmm. and that he may punish us for being rude. And he destroyed families. He took, confiscated all their homes, assets, lands for being rude. Mm. I mean, he was a vin vindictive person. And violent. I mean, not just vindictive, oh, but violently. Oh, and violently very violent. So. Yes, yeah. so, so they chose to enter. And as a teenager and as in my 20s and even in my 30s, I was very angry at them. How could they enter into a relationship with a dictator, with a horrible, abusive man? And then, you know, you grow older and then you're like, they were afraid. They, they were afraid. And every decision in that, in, in my upbringing, actually, was... How do you survive in the small way? So I came to learn that people 
survive or resist not always in the big heroic ways mm-hmm. you know as we like Nelson Mandela or whatever people resist also in the small ways mm-hmm. and the very very small ways you know and that's how my parents resisted they were not leaders they are not politicians they resisted to keep a sense of their self mm-hmm. intact and so the resistance is he wanted us to move to the palace compound. They said, no, we want to stay in our home. He wanted me and my brothers to go to the palace school. They said no. And they sent me to a very normal school where I interacted with people from students from different socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, my mom, my mom would cry and tell me I'm losing. She said, we are in prison. We are, it's gold. The gold, the cage is golden, but we are in prison. Never forget that, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And so you grew up. With these, no, I mean, you know you are in prison in this social format. We were not allowed to have friends. We were not allowed to have any privacy. Our home was bugged. You're conscious of it, but and you don't talk about it, and you each try to protect the other. Like, you know, I would know, I would go to school, and I would hear of my friends talking about public executions in the street. And I would go at night, and I see Saddam Hussein, and we're eating caviar. Mm. And, you know, even as a teenager, to hold that tension because it's too dangerous. It's too dangerous to break your silence. And so you, you know how to survive without losing your soul. But you survive in small ways, in just small, small, small baby ways to keep a sense of self intact. Mm. And it's, it, it's, it sounds like such a, a desperate life that, that, as you say, from the outside looking in, you think, oh, they live in a nice home. Mm. They, they're associates of the, the, the government. They, you know, life is good. And meanwhile, inside oh. the walls, there's this desperation and, and fear. Well, to be close to the dictator does not mean that you're safe. It mm. means that you're closer to danger. He wow. killed his best friends. He killed his brother-in-law. He killed his sons-in-laws. He could, you could have a very normal conversation with Saddam. Very normal, and and he was very charming, and there is a part of me, I would lie to you if I didn't tell you, there is a part of me that called him, I called him uncle, and I loved him as uncle as well, like this Mm. is just uncle, you know, it's not a big deal, right? And when he flips, he would, like, the room, the air will be taken out of a room, and the flipping could be for any small reason. You know, talking one time they were talking about Napoleon, you know, and he got offended that they thought he thought that they were referring to him about Napoleon, uh, about Napoleon. Exactly. And so when you because that's when because he could kill people yeah. for for disagreeing with him. Yeah. He killed any political opposition, any social opposition, any anybody, you know, and, and, and no one was spared. My mom's best friend was an artist. Uh, and one day he uh, her, his brother called him, uh, called her at the midnight and she said I'm still asleep and my husband is asleep and and he said you're refusing my invite so he sent the police arrested the husband and told her with a gunpoint dress up he wants you and so that was our life so yes on the outside we had private helicopters we had fancy clothes fancy jewelry fancy everything and inside you're you're surviving for your soul basically you know Um, Mm. so that's how Yes, that's <laughs> that's how I grew up. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And and with that fear as a backdrop, your mother sends you on an arranged marriage to the United States. To the United States in the hope that I will be saved basically, except that very arranged marriage I end up being violated. It was my 
um, first experience. So I, I come here, they leave, Iraq invades Kuwait, and I'm left with this new husband that I don't know who he is. And he practically raped me throughout the marriage, and I had to escape three months afterwards hmm. um, with $400 in my pockets. And I came to this city, as a matter of fact, and I vowed that I will never, you know, like I have to rebuild my life on my own. But my family is in Iraq. Yeah. I cannot call them. My husband, they, the person who's supposed to save me raped me. And I have $400 in my pocket. And that's how I started my life in America. And so there's, I have a, a deep appreciation for the country, you know, that is, you know, I may not be very well versed with a national anthem, but I have a deep love for the country because it's actually provided me uh, with uh, safety mm. and opportunity and freedom. And because I did not have freedom growing up and I understood what freedom is in this country, yeah. I think of it as the most important value. And because of it, mm. I started Women for Women International and I started doing every single thing I do is because there is a deep appreciation that I have of uh, the freedom, but also the values and and these days we are in a very divided country, unfortunately, and mm -hmm. there's tension are very, very high in this country. And my message always like, fight for American values. These are important values. Mm -hmm. And those of us who grew up not having it and came here to see it, it's the most beautiful thing about America. If mm -hmm. this gets sacrificed or compromised, it loses the essence of the soul of this country. Mm. I, I want to. You you said that you came here at one point with that four hundred dollars in your pocket, and, and and I suspect there are women who are in that position right now. They've got the the shirt on their back. They're getting out of an abusive relationship or home or office, and they're thinking, "What do I do next?" What did you do next when you came to Los Angeles? How did you start? You say you started your life over. How do you do that? I mean, it's a very good question, and I think by the grace of God, honestly, and kindness from people, I went to a job, and my first employer was a, whole, a small Italian family who owned a Hallmark, and they took me on, and they gave me a job, and you know, and, and little by little, people gave me opportunities, mm -hmm. and from one job to the other until I heard about the war in Bosnia and I was like, I have to act and I have to do something. I had no money, no work experience as an activist, but but this is the beauty of people. I started giving speeches in churches and synagogues and mosques and it's like, we need to help the Bosnian people, you know? And people start saying, donating and saying, yes, go. And I, this is how we started. I was 23 years old when I started Women for Women International. And people would give me money and say, go and send it to the, you know, the Bosnians. And I started by helping 33 women because people just believed. And it ended up helping more than half a million women and sending more than a hundred million dollars. So it's when I say when you meet people like that, yeah. Especially now we're talking about the dreamers and we're talking about immigrants and we're talking about all of that. As an immigrant myself, I was like, this is what an immigrant looked like, you know. Mm -hmm. And there was a time in which I was in a limbo, you know, you know, and I went to the. I was like, help me, what do I do, you know? And so, as we talk about that, I was like. Give people opportunities, yeah, <laughs> because that's what makes America great. Not anything else, actually. Right, right. Really, not anything else. Is that's the yeah. Yeah, I, I want to talk about women for women international in a moment, but 
before we leave Iraq, uh, you returned to Iraq um, with uh, your your project for the Huffington Post, mm. and and I I watched that that episode. It's uh, the Zainab Sal- Salbi project, mm-hmm. and uh, it was clearly an emotional experience Very. for you. And you you from the moment when you were at the airport, that airport where you said goodbye <laughs> to your yes. family. Yes. Um, you visited your childhood home, which had become a torture chamber. Yes. Um, and then you spoke with women who are fighting against ISIS. Yes. You went to the front lines, and you met one woman in particular that really stuck with me, this woman who lost her husband yes. uh, to a landmine. Yes. Tell me about that experience. Well, you know, it's it's first of all, Iraq is destroyed. I mean, we need to remember that. Just yesterday in the news, Iraqi government is saying we need a hundred billion dollars to, to rebuild, and no one is showing up. Mm. They think they may get five billion dollars to rebuild. If we want to talk about, um, so I, let me step back and the country is destroyed. In that in that visit, I traveled from my home, the home I grew up in, to the front line with ISIS in every town, every village, every city, every mosque, every church, every university are leveled down. So when we talk about, you know, so that's one thing. When, when we talk about fighting terrorism, we fight it not by bombing only, but by building hope. And when no one is showing up to build hope and to rebuild the country, we need to rebuild it. If you don't want to rebuild it for Iraq because nation building for some reason is a dirty word, which doesn't make sense to me, build it for America's security. Mm. You know, if we want to truly, truly, truly stop terrorism, we need to rebuild the country and help it stabilize as soon as possible. Because the idea is that that through the war that that we engaged in in Iraq— it has resulted in where we are today, which is a country that is not a failed state, but it is in trouble. And it is, you're saying, a breeding ground for more of the terror that could come our way. Well, because terror outside of context does not make sense. You think that it's just these crazy people. Terror inside of context is explainable. Hmm. As in, if you grew up in a city and everything is destroyed, or a town, everything is destroyed, and America came in the name of freedom and democracy, and then you're left with rebel, you know, and now I want to circle back to that woman. Those who are fighting back are saints, are saints, because everything is destroyed around their lives. This is when the resistance, like, to keep your soul intact. They could eat, that's when people split. They could so easily be into go into hate and less fight and they portray and project all their hate on America which did contribute to that destruction or they can say nope we're not going to do that and we're going to fight against ISIS and this is destroying ourselves and so I met and a lot of times you know Arab women or Muslim women are seen as passive and and oppressed mm, and I didn't see that you know, well in I mean your, but I, as story. a Muslim woman I'm always told oh but you must be an exception it's like believe me I'm not an exception the women I grew up with in my country I like feisty mm. so here's a woman from not even a city at least I'm from the capital educated elite she's like from a small town you know did not finish high school even, you know? And so ISIS wanted to kill her husband, killed her father, killed actually every single male member in her family. Mm. 
everyone. So she became now the matriarch of the family. And now she's like, because they killed, she says her life mission is to kill ISIS until the very last breath. Mm-hmm. That's her life mission. So you see this woman, and I wanted to feature her because that's not the image of a Muslim woman. Yeah. The image of a Muslim woman, oh, she because she wore a headscarf, she must be oppressed. This woman is wearing a headscarf. Yeah. And she is leading a brigade of men fighting ISIS all the way through. You mm-hmm. know, and she is Arab and she is a Muslim and she's Sunni and she's everything. Like, you know, like all the stereotype. Oh, you know, she's doing that. But what's I was recently came back. I actually in the summer I went to Iraq and went to Mosul two weeks after its liberation from mm. ISIS. And there is, you know, so it's again that the city is Mosul's destroyed. nothing. No, no, it's just right. flat, flat. Right. It's just right. like the, it's just uh, shocking, shocking. And I, you know, you can only understand if you imagine your city here, LA, with all the beauty and the you know, prosperity, all of that. Imagine, like the mudslide of Santa Barbara was the closest I could describe it. Mm. Something that is so familiarly beautiful and then all of a sudden is full of mud. Yeah. So imagine that all of a sudden is destroyed. That's like, this is how the trauma is, right? Mm-hmm. And so I go to Mosul and I'm just walking in the streets, just walking the street as I am, not covered because the covering has a very different politics and social issues, you know? And the people in Mosul, women and men in Mosul are saying, we need to build the new human being. This is their words, not mine. They're saying, we tried. We tried fundamentalism. We tried religion. We tried war. We tried hate. We tried blaming each other. We tried revenge. We tried power. We tried greed. We tried it all and it failed us and it destroyed us. They're comparing what happened to Mosul to a nuclear bomb. Mm. They're saying we were our nuclear bomb that destroyed us. And now we need to build new value systems, new human being for all, because Mm. this has failed us. And I honestly feel like it's, you know, when those who lose everything, they get an awakening, including if you get cancer and you almost die, you get an awakening. I feel the people of Mosul have a message right now to tell to the whole world, we need to build new value system and a new human being that this war and revenge and fighting and I'm better than you and division does not work, Mm. does not work, it destroys us. And so I'm more optimistic for Iraqis and I just really hope that people understand that this is how you fight terrorism, it's not through war, it's through building. Build a bridge, build a bridge, build a bridge. It may be destroyed. Yes, build it again. It may be destroyed again. Build it again. It's cheaper than a bomb. And, and you know, of all the people who would know, it is you. As founder of Women for Women International, you've, I don't want to say you've lived your adult life in war zones, but you've been to so many of them. Yeah. You have uh, you have seen the true cost uh, of war. Um, you, you, you've said in modern wars it is more dangerous to be a woman than a soldier. And when I read that, I wondered, what, what, what do you mean by that? Well, 70% of modern war casualties are women and children, you know? Um, are civilians, I'm sorry, are, are civilians, and 90% of those are women and children. Mm, I see. You know, so that's just to, just casualties in here, right. you know? We're talking about rape in modern war. This is still happening. I mean, now we're talking about, uh, I'll, I'll connect it back to the Me Too because I'm so happy that finally American women are also saying this is happening to us. 
Because up until this moment, it was a third world woman's issues. It was these poor women who are abused in other parts of the war, you know, these other countries. And when American women in this city, in Hollywood saying, no, it actually happened to me, it finally it's like it unites us all and say, this is a gender issue. This is not cultural issue. Mm. One culture may be more speed. But in war, until today, rape is hugely, rampantly used in wars. You know, in Congo, hundreds of thousands of women are getting raped until today. And what's so fascinating for me, if you apply that learnings from war to what's happening in the discussion today, mm-hmm. is in when you rape, and I studied rape for the longest time, because I worked 25 years of my life in war zones, right? When you study, rape is nev- a raped woman is never killed. She's actually always stays alive. Usually, if they kill a woman, it's only one woman that they kill in a very obnoxious way and they in the public, you know. But usually, raped women are returned to their homes, maybe mutilated, maybe their breasts cut, maybe. Uh, mm. but, but it's usually a message from one man to the other man mm. is, I take your land and I take your women, basically. Mm. And the women are always returned in somehow, some way to the other to their families, but basically saying, I spoiled your mm. woman. Mm. And it's interesting when we talk about violence and women and power and assault and harassments and all the spectrum that is being discussed right now, it is still a message from a man to a man about power. Mm. And, you know, it's sort of in war, I take your land and I rape your women. In peace, I take your business and the prettiest woman. Right. In business, I you can know? do what I want because I'm the boss or I'm, you know, I have, I'm in a position of power in some way. In essence, they, I mean, I know for many people may find it hard what I'm trying to say, but I look at the purity of the mm-hmm. issue. In mm-hmm. essence, they are the same dynamics. Mm-hmm. You know, it manifests itself differently from one context to the other. But in essence, it's about the corruption of power mm. and the delusion uh, that, uh, and actually, maybe not delusion, a very particular message from one man to the other and how women are seen both in war as well as in peace, yeah. that they are uh, part of the booties, you know, uh, of uh, interactions. Which leads us to this PBS program, um, hashtag me too, now what? And and you've, over the, the course of several episodes, you've, you've, you know, really gone into this, to this, uh, to this topic that's really consuming us right now. That in a in a good way. I mean, it's a something that we're f- opening our eyes to in a way that I think we never have. Um, what did you find? I mean, I'm, first I ask for the overview. What what will we learn from the series? Well, it's a brush as trying to deconstruct the issue. And and my take at it is that this is not a surprise. You know. Uh, we most women know it. We've just been silent, and sometimes we've been numb. You know, you coexist with the issue, and that's why I'm saying I'm really, really. A lot of people saying, "Oh, it took white women in Hollywood for the world to pay attention." I'm like, if that's what it took, I am so glad white women in Hollywood finally joined. Mm. You know, and not only talk about third world women issues, they're joining and saying, "We is happening to us." It makes it. It, it brings the, the core of the issue to the surface, mm-hmm. right? But we need to also, in order for the now what discussion, we need to all assess the areas individually and, and, and collectively where we have been complacent 
in allowing for such culture and for such norms? And where have we even been complicit in our own individual ways? Mm. It's much easier to put all the projection on the predators, you know, and the bad guys, you know, that's easy. I mean, this is sort of... Uh, it's low-hanging low fruit. The, well, then, then, then what we do is then we put all our... Um, I don't know if I can curse in here or not, but put all our shit in, in this one guy. Mm -hmm. He is bad, but mm -hmm. I am good. The question is not that. It is really that the good and the bad and the ugly is in all of us. So right now I'm calling it like the dynamics of the good guy. I'm interested in the good guy. The predator is a predator. It's mm -hmm. very clear. But it's a good guy that needs to be in conversation with. How did we get here? Where were you unconscious or conscious How, of, of not only that touching and the groping. Yes, it takes a lot. It takes very particular personality to do that. But where are you still mistreating women <laughs> and still don't look at her as equal and still pay her as less? And for me, we've got to look at the spectrum of things, mm -hmm. not only harassment. Today, harassment is an issue, so then we forget equal pay. And today, is uh, as a rape is an issue, so we forget uh, lack of representation in the boardroom. For me, we need to bring it all up they all led to each other. When we treat women less, when we pay them less, when we don't include them in our decision-making board meetings, when we are not, when they are not majority in politics, when they are, you know, not heard, you also think you can, and when their representation in the media and in advertising and in magazines are such a, a very particular way of objectifying mm -hmm. them and in a very particular sexualized way, there is a problematic. It's, it's all feeds into each other. Mm -hmm. So for me, in order to really use this moment of awakening, you know, hopefully awakening at a larger level, you know, and not have it uh, to be a transformative moment, Moment we need to look at the larger uh, spectrum of issues rather than only one by one. And in the process, I learned fascinating things. I mean, it was a learning journey. In all my shows, whether they were half the, you know, Zainab Salt Project, whatever, I like traveling to the, and, and go to the people. I, yeah. I am the people right. kind of person, you right. know. And it was fascinating journey for me. As in, I learned, from men, there was a lot of men are shocked, which was like, okay, okay, then I don't shocked know. Shocked at what? Shocked, they like didn't know that it's uh, a lot of people like, I wouldn't know, we didn't know, we didn't know that this is happening, that, you know. So that's a lot of men are owning it, and these are not predators. I'm talking about good guy, mm -hmm. you know, here. Right. A lot of guys came forward, and especially the younger guys, which I really appreciate, came forward and they said, we do, we do treat women this way. And, mm -hmm. you know, m the most frivolous experience was the most shocking one for me, when this guy was saying, we go to yoga studios and just, or just and stand up in front of the yoga studio to wait for women to come out. I was like, never occurred to me like wow even yoga like even as what we do are doing to like pick up on uh, yeah because as the women are like doing their bends backward bends or whatever dog style yeah, whatever right. i mean like whatever the yeah. yoga poses right. you know they the guys are watching them basically <sighs> and picking up and checking the women out oh. and this is for me is like an exercise yeah yeah you know and that that this is how uh, can i just have this is. moment right that, that you know sort of, so yeah. i appreciate the guys who are owning it mm. i appreciate uh, and um, and then the beginning was like, well, let's talk, you know, so that's that I appreciate it. But I think there is a struggle right now 
And this is where I feel like maybe my hope is maybe for this moment to be America's moment of truth and reconciliation because America never had that history before mm. or never had that moment of its own truth and reconciliation. We admire other countries, you know, Nelson Mandela in South Africa, of how they did things, but we've really never done it. We haven't done it in civil rights movement. We haven't done it to minorities. Well, maybe we do it on the war of sexes. So, you know, so I was hoping to actually, you know, sort of maybe this is the moment where we really engage in a dialogue. And so let's and do that. So I think of myself as a good guy. Yeah. And let's break it down and, yeah. and be real about it. How am I being complicit? How, you know, what are the ways that I'm doing things, maybe subconsciously, that that contribute to a woman in the workplace feeling mm -hmm. uncomfortable mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. or doing something that that is not appropriate in terms of male-female relationships? Well, I don't know you, but I can tell you one of my proudest uh, shows was last week, last Friday, with Devin Faraci, you know, who's a major film critic and who is self-described feminist and a women's rights activist, uh, you know, a, a pro-women's rights mm -hmm. and liberal progressive man, made or broke a movie. And so if I didn't, I only met him last week, had I met him before, I would think that he's a cool. He is a good guy. Okay. And when Access Hollywood movie uh, show uh, tape got revealed, he tweeted something about how horrible President Trump is and groping. Except one woman told him, "Devin, you actually did the exact same thing to me." And that's what I mean is that our unconsciousness, mm. you know, is the unconsciousness, and you know. And he, she had told him way before when it happened, and he dismissed her. And so he, he, so he touched her inappropriately. Or? He groped her, basically, you know. But this is, but okay, Devin is maybe even a severe experience. So it's what well, the point. But the reason I use his example is that he was a good guy. He is a good. Well, I don't know. He's self-proclaimed feminist, women's rights, right? right? right. And there was still unconsciousness in his behavior mm, yeah. of how to treat women, yeah. you know? And when she went and confronted him, he dismissed her. And it took him commenting on Twitter, on President Trump, for her to actually say it out loud, 10 years later, by the way, for a social media uproar to happen, for him to lose his job and lose everything, and now sleeping on a, someone's sofa, mm. for him to start looking inward saying, what have I? Did, where do I own it? Mm -hmm. And that's what it took him to actually look into what I call the journey inward. Yeah. And in the show, he talks about his journey inward and owning it and looking at how he, his own perspective, but about his values of himself, how he valued women, how he was jealous of other men, how, 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 until he reached a stage where he needed to um, ask her for an amend. Mm. And so for me is the the good guy question is, is in the subconscious issues. Where are you not conscious of how you're treating women or not? A lot of people don't believe that women get paid less. It's still 80 cents to a dollar. For me, that's a like that's just a starting point. Mm -hmm. Where are the women in your decision-making powers? Where are the women in your board? Harvey Weinstein's uh, how, board. How much of that is, though, because you hear this a lot, women don't raise their hand and say, wait a minute, I deserve more. So a guy will walk into the meeting with the boss and say, I want to make this. And yes. the woman and the woman will go in and say, uh, you know, what are you going to pay me? And of course the boss is going to say, I'll pay you less. Right. 
And so is that a, a, a matter of women, you know, looking inward and saying, you know, how do I stand up and say this is what I deserve as opposed to the boss doing what his instinct is to pay someone, anyone less? Both. Both. Lean in. This is the lean in argument. Yeah. Lean in. Yes. Right. And But women are leaning in and some, yes, both. She needs to lean in. That's fine. And someone, when they lean in, and some of the interviews that I came across in my field trip, because I traveled across America and interviewed women and men from all walks of life, a lot of women said, we leaned in and we paid the price for it. Mm. You know, we said, I this is happening to me. And then they got no job whatsoever, mm, you know. And so... Partially, yes. And partially, I would say change happen, either it's forced from the grounds up or also leadership. The, those in power also uh, need to have change. If you, if you really are to talk the talk, walk the walk about women's rights yeah. and you see yourself in, in a position of power and there's, you know that women are not represented, you may need to step down from your power to, allow, to like really live up to your values. Mm. Yeah. I mean, like, it's easy for all of us to give nice speeches. To say this is much what I harder, yeah. you know, much action. harder. I was like interviewing the other day with some guys who are uh, in the hip hop world, producers of hip hop art, you know, artists, and produce some horrible music videos. And I was like, were you conscious that these, like, when we, this is the images that we're presenting to our children mm -hmm. were you conscious is damaging they said yes but it was our jobs and maybe now the question for us is saying i don't want to get a job but i have to also confront the fact that i may have to pay financial damage for it like if i don't get a job because it's treating women wrong yeah. you know so i feel like we should not only point the finger at the guy individual behavior we should look at I, I mean, for me, it's like follow the money. These images of women did not happen overnight. There was money put after or behind hip hop representation of women, advertising horrible representation of women. If you're like actually trying to have the right image and do the right thing, you don't get financially rewarded. Right. And so this is a moment, it's easy to say, I don't grab a woman, I don't touch a woman. Right. That's the easiest right. thing. Good for you. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, we need to change how women are treated at a larger yeah. structural way, you right. know, in order to really change the behavior pattern. Gaming, the gaming world, for example, these are all discoveries I had in my show mm -hmm. traveling. Gaming, I had no, I'm not a gamer. Mm -hmm. But even the images of how women are represented in gaming world versus right. how men are represented, this is impacting our teenage sons. You know, so people are now worried about their sons and daughters. I have a friend who wants to develop an app for his son to like tape a consent before that. That's not the solution. The solution is what are we change putting in our change right. in our head in the heads of our sons and our daughters right. and how we actually talk about not app taping them saying yes, but uh, change their behavior patterns and what is impacting their behavior patterns. That's yeah. what's at stake right now. Yeah. Back to, I don't want to say me, but but to people like me hmm. who we think that we're the good guys because we're not groping and, you yeah, know, yeah. I, yeah. I, all of us have, trust me, I'm a middle-aged man, look back and, and try to think, have I done anything, you know, over the years? And, and, I, and I wonder if this discussion, and I wonder if you fear this at all, that there there is a, a confusion amongst men, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and 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 in in the context of that, in a fear that you know what I don't want the trouble, and so 
it, when I have a choice between hiring a man and a woman, I'm going to hire a man because of all of this, the, the danger, quote unquote, if you will, of hiring a woman and what that might bring to my workplace. What do you think about it? And that? a lot of men are saying that. And I feel if they do that, and probably they would do that, uh, how uh, they will increase and exasperate the problem rather than resolve course, it. Yeah. You know, it's sort of saying, let me use another analogy. You know, I was in a marriage for 15 years. This is my second marriage, not the not the arranged one. You right. know, beautiful marriage, all of that. And just we separated and we got divorced. No drama in it, right? Okay. So one day I'm at home and he's not at home and I'm alone and I'm divorced and I'm a single woman and I'm happy and I was irritated. And if he was with me, I would have picked a fight, right? Okay. right? As most couples right. do, right? You get your issue. But he was not there. There was no one there. And I remember saying, uh-oh, it's me. Oh, It's me. I need to look at something in here. Yeah. And that's what men need to look at, honestly. Mm. It's like you can separate and you can say, I'll get divorced from all women and I will not hire them and I will not engage with them and you know all of that. Easy, easy, fix, fast fix, but escaping the work and escaping the change. Mm -hmm. And I honestly, you know, we have a chance of make it an evolutionary moment. Mm -hmm. And to do that, we need to go to an uncomfortable space, yeah. both of us, yeah. because women need to also do that. Well, and to that you know? end, I want to ask you about remarks that you've heard, I'm sure, from actress Catherine Deneuve and the novelist Margaret Atwood and others who've talked about, I mean, Catherine Deneuve said, you know, we live in a time when mere accusations on social media lead to punishment, resignation, and sometimes indeed often trial by media. And Margaret Atwood, the novelist, talked about uh, all of this being the structure of the Salem witchcraft trials in which you were guilty because you were accused. And I wonder if in, in the course of male-female relationships, and what is that going to do to the dynamic of I'm, you know, not me because I've been married for 23 years. But and uh, by the us, way, I'm uh, telling every every person who are in a relationship, stick to it. <laughs> right. Exactly. Because people are right, afraid right, right, right now. Right. But, you know, men and women as they're trying to date. And I have, you know, young sons who, you know, they I, I think they're they're not sure. Maybe they're going to be fearful of how to approach a woman. And if, have I, you know, am I by flirting? Am I doing the wrong thing? And. What what do you say to to these your fellow women and and to men who are sort of confused about relationships and how how that how this is going to be affected? I mean, this is it's, it's interesting because my upcoming show this Friday is talking with only men and about how do we do that. Yeah. And the following one coming up is about the culture we have co-created. And when I talk to men, and they are men who are who have done the self work on themselves and. They are the good man, you know, yeah. and one of them said, I never paid attention the way I dance. And when I go in her back and she's my friend, as I may make her uncomfortable, you know. Yeah. And I finally actually in my interviews, I came to understand why the Aziz Ansari case, for example, oh. became such an uproar. But because it's, it's the unconscious behavior is taking for granted uh, the behavior pattern. That's finally I got it. Like it's because there was an unconsciousness of him that many men have, you know. Well, let me just tell you my reaction to Aziz. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I don't know if it's the yeah. politically correct or not, but Aziz Ansari goes on a date. Yes. He meets a, a, a young woman, and they hit it off. Yes. They end up in his apartment. 
they have sexual relations. She at some point decides she doesn't want to anymore, but continues to to do it, and then talks to a reporter about it mm-hmm. and says it was a horrible thing and and Aziz mm-hmm. is a terrible guy. Yeah. From my point of view as a man, I think he he tried to persuade her to have sex. Right. And she she went along with it. And yes, it was yes. it was crude in the way he went about it and maybe that's not how I would have done it. But he wasn't blocking the door. He wasn't saying, you know, holding anything over her. And 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 I just wonder if yeah. when a woman like that comes forward with a story like that, doesn't that set all of this back? So here's what I discovered in the process, honestly, of my interviews, which is the grievance of the Me Too movement, people, the criticism, rather, people were saying it's all over the spectrum. You are equating the one bad behavior, to quote Matt Damon, with any single bad behavior, right? It's true. It is bringing it all up yeah. and at the same time. We need to hold this moment, you know? I mean, rather what than say, we need to hold this as in, it's true that everything is coming up. The mixed baggage of everything mm-hmm. is coming up. And the reason we need to endure it rather than stop it immediately or call it a witch hunt or all of that is because, because we're like when what women hear is that they're being stopped. You know, when they when they get labeled as this is a witch hunt or there's going to be a backlash or whatever, is that they get frustrated saying we are the, for the first time speaking out. And within 15 seconds, you tell us, OK, we got it. Now it's enough. We got it. We got it. It's going to change. And they're saying, but it hasn't changed. And the grievances is actually really multiple in its dynamic. So that's one level. Second level is, and in talking with a lot of young women, they were saying, and I was like, but she needed to come out. She needed just to leave. And they were and what I understood from talking young women, and I understand now, honestly, as a woman, is that it takes for a woman much long um to grow up as a woman, you're constantly being told you are less. Hmm. So you grew up with a set of insecurities. What is that? If not, it is some from families, some from school, some from workplace, some from images because you're not as beautiful as this one, or you're not as thin as this one, or you are not as pretty as whatever. But it is a different socialization. So the message to women is you have to be a good girl. And I'm telling you, as a woman myself, so it's not, you know, so to take, to own your no. And to develop it and to not care if you come across as a bitch or as a mean girl or not, it takes a long, every muscle in mm. you. So what the younger women are saying, they're saying we know she could have left, but it is harder for us as we are still developing our no and holding the space. So here's my, my summary for you. I'm 48 years old. The difference in my experience, it's not how the men act. The men's still acting the same way. Yeah. A lot of, as I'm sorry. It's the difference is as I grew older, I became stronger in saying no and immediately and leaving and I don't give a damn what you think. Right. But that takes a thick skin hmm. and it takes energy, you know, from you, you yeah. know, to yeah. like hold it. So. I understood it in the process of investigating more because the younger women are saying, but it's not as easy for us to get that stage. And I understand that. And I empathize with them because it took me a long time to be able to, if I am in her context, to say, absolutely not. Mm. It took 
a long time, you know? And so because that's what I, women I, yeah, are saying. Yeah, and see, I think men don't see that at all. I mean, I I mean know. You're, just, you're describing of, yeah. of women as less than. I mean, it, yes, it doesn't, I know. for us, I think, as men, and I, I don't, can't speak for all men, but for me, it just doesn't compute. I, I, I don't know. Un- understand I know. it. Yes. It's not how I raise my sons. Yeah. And it's... It, I just don't. Yes, and and this is what I say. This could be a moment of truth and reconciliation. So rather than call it a witch hunt and a backlash and all of these things, because when we call it like that, we shut. We want to shut down the conversation. Yeah. When we have truth and reconciliation, look at this understanding. And I didn't understand I it until I got into discussion with a friend of mine yeah. who was like pushing me. Like this is just conversation. I was like, stop doing. And he's like, but I'm treating you equally. And I was like, you know, for me to be a strong woman. It took every emotional muscle hmm. in me, yeah. every confident, every work, every everything to be the strong woman. And you get a lot of criticism from people because you're not always nice and you're not always soft and you're not always, mm-hmm. you know, smiley. And you and it's it's hard, like it still hurts, right? Yeah, yeah. But you have to fend for yourself. So it's so. It was a lightning bolt for me and him, this friend, yeah. for him to realize is he'd never even thought about it. Yeah, see, that's that's how I am too. I think I, I don't yeah. think of it like that. Right. And so we we approach the same issue from different, very different and, points and of that's, view. And that is my hope to do. I mean, and that's my hope not only for the series I'm doing, but really my hope for this national discussion yeah. is to use it as a way to understand. And what I understand the world is hearing woman anger, but behind the anger, there is pain. Yeah. And we need to deconstruct that pain and where it's coming from. And partially is everything is coming in, in the same time and sensationalized, you know? So that's what we need to do is a dialogue and an engagement yeah. so we can actually truly self-reflect. And women also need to self-reflect. I'm not saying only men, mm-hmm. but we are living in a system that takes advance for granted a patriarchal and i don't say it rhetorically it's really a patriarchal system that takes for granted the abuse and mistreatment of women Mm -hmm. it's just even though we have changed in our artificial behavior the system itself still holds discrimination yeah one of your operating principles as an activist is that you say activists should live by the idea of integrating silence seeing and speaking (sighs) and so apply that to to this issue of me too well i think there is a moment for a time for silence so like go inward and like center yourself in yourself a time to speak the truth you know and time and like what is it a time for silence a time to ref- what is it i said I silence <laughs> seeing and speaking <laughs> and seeing I, because it's been a last year it actually was that there's a time to silence to like really listen Time to see what people are saying and then time to see our truth and um, to speak our truth. Mm. And we're rushing through this in this Me Too movement. Mm. You know, I, that's why I'm saying don't rush through it. We need more time, yeah. actually. You know, otherwise it becomes a soundbite movement and we cannot do it as soundbite. It's a serious thing. So men and women need a moment to like hear mm-hmm. what's happening and to and for each person to start saying speaking their truth Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and our truth may not collide with each other may not make a full story but if we start speaking that's why truth and reconciliation (laughs) is we own it we each have to own it our parts of the story in order for the story to change and what's at stake is 
in my opinion, not only our children, but at what's at stake is a country that is divided. Mm -hmm. is, is, is it, are, are we going to have a war between the sexes? <laughs> you know, it seems like a war right now, or can we actually experience it in a new way for our own evolution? Yeah. Let's not have that war. <laughs> we'll uh, see light right now with President <laughs> Trump's statement last week. It it sort of ignites the fire, and we need to like we need men to actually really. I we I my call out is for women are speaking. We need men to say, "Don't call it backlash." We need to. We really need to hear what's happening. Right, and you're here. talking about uh, President Trump's reaction to the Rob Porter uh, uh, allegations, right? And his immediate response to that was essentially saying that he's going through a tough time. Essentially saying that this Me Too movement is destroying lives because it's unfair. And it indeed there are consequences, you know, for, for people. And yes, it's even if the old things happen, there must be consequences. There must be, what's the price? You know, so in my field interviews, a lot of men, not women, men are saying, men understand fear. <laughs> and if the price is so high for them, then they will not do it. Mm. This is men saying, I was shy because I don't operate with fear. I hate fear. I, I'm like all about love, you know? Yeah. But it was men saying, so we need to have a, the, the price that is being paid right now is important as a deterrent. If there is no deterrent, if a man feels that he can get away with it, then, then we are saying the right words. Oh, I'm pro women, give nice speeches in Women's Month. And then really, not change any behavior we the behavior that needs to be changed Zainab uh, thank you so much for for what you're doing uh, pleasure. Thank on, on you. this issue and so many others it's, it's really been a pleasure thank it, you. it's a pleasure talking with you thank you so much Thanks. go to my podcast page ktla.com slash frank buckley interviews to learn more about Zainab Salbi and again, you can also see her on our new TV version of Frank Buckley Interviews on Sunday nights on KTLA 5 in Los Angeles, airing at 7 p.m. and 11.30 p.m. Thanks for those of you who watched our first episode last week with Anthony Scaramucci. If you missed it, you can find a link to our YouTube version of the program on the podcast pages for the Scaramucci interview. I loved all the feedback from the TV show on my social media pages. Please keep it coming. I'm at Frank Buckley TV on Twitter and Instagram, and there's a Frank Buckley Facebook page as well. A new podcast drops here every Wednesday, and you can always listen to any of our more than 85 interviews in the archives on demand. And of course, the interviews are always free. Thanks for joining us this week, and until next time, I'll see you on TV.